If you have been with us over the uh, the past two weeks, you'll know that we have started a series uh, preaching through the book of Nehemiah. And uh, the reason that we are focusing on Nehemiah is twofold. Number one is that we believe that at this particular point in time, God is speaking to the church. That's you and me. The church is not a building. That God is speaking to you and me about our role in the nation at the moment. The church has a role to play. Believers have a role to play in our nation at this time. That's the first thing. And the second is this, that over about the past year and a half or so, we have really sensed through the book of Nehemiah, God speaking to us as a church about the importance of the role that we as Connect Church uh, need to be playing in the nation at this at, that, at this moment. Now, as you know, the, the book of Nehemiah deals primarily with the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem. And, and it's an account of what took place in a relatively short period of time. The, the, the Bible says to us, in, in 52 days, the seemingly impossible happens. Chapter 6 says that the wall was completed on the 25th of Elal in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. That's a very significant statement. Nehemiah is not just about a group of people who went back to a city and rebuilt a wall. Nehemiah is the story of how a group of people rebuilt the wall with God's help. But what we want to remember about Nehemiah is that the rebuilding of the wall itself was part and parcel of a much bigger process that was happening. I mean, if you read read Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall, you surely have to ask yourself the question, what has rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem got to do with me being in South Africa today? What's the the collation? what's What's the link? And, and, and what we need to realize is that rebuilding the wall was part of a much bigger process that was taking place in the city. Let me just highlight one or two of the things that it, it was part of. It was part and parcel of the restoration of God's people who at that stage were living in discouragement. They were living in disgrace. You will know that in those days, the wall of the city was there to protect you from the enemy. The wall of the city was to give the the city an identity. And what had happened is is over the years, there had been an invasion of the Babylonians. They had torn down the wall. They destroyed the temple. And they would taken God's people into exile. And so, as the Bible tells us, they were in discouragement. There was despair. There was a sense of hopelessness amongst the people. In fact, in chapter 1, Nehemiah says, uh, as he speaks to those who had come back from Jerusalem, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, Those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. That was a, the description that they had of what was going on in the city of Jerusalem. The NLT puts it brilliantly. It says, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. 
And so part of the, re- the rebuilding of the wall is part of this, this rebuilding of life in the city. But not only that, it was also part and parcel of bringing people back to God and focusing on God and worshipping God. One of the significant issues and aspects of the city of Jerusalem, it was known as the place where the temple was. And the temple was the focus on the fact that God was among His people and God was there to be worshipped. But that had all disappeared with the, the breaking down of the temple and the tearing down of the wall and the exiling of the people. And worship of God is needing to be restored. But it was also part and parcel of the restoration of life in the city as God meant it to be. Life as they had known it had fallen apart completely. Things were no longer functioning in society over there. And so as the wall is rebuilt, there is a much bigger focus that's going on over here. How do we rebuild life in the city as God intended it to be? Now, as we come to chapter 3, which is what I'm going to be looking at this morning, we've got a record of how uh, the exiles who returned, those people who were still living, also living in the city of Jerusalem, and people from the surrounding area, gave themselves to rebuilding the wall. And each person gave themselves to the task of rebuilding because they knew that everybody was necessary to complete and to fulfill this task. You see, it's when people really believe that what they are doing is more important than anything else. That, to me, is critical. When people believe that what they're doing is more important than anything else, when they reach that place where there's such a strong conviction that what they are doing will make a difference, that people get mobilized. Until people come to that place and that conviction, they are not going to be mobilized. When we were on holiday, um, Terry and I watched, uh, uh, I'm sure many of you have seen it, one of the movies made about the life of, of Jim Elliot. And you, for those of you who don't know, Jim Elliot was a missionary um, and had a sense of, of taking the gospel to the Alka Indians uh, in Ecuador. And here was a man who literally gave his life. He actually, was, he actually died in the process because what he believed about the task on his heart superseded anything else in his life. And so he gave himself to that. In Nehemiah chapter 3, we find the most unlikely people giving themselves to the rebuilding of the wall because they believe it needs to be done and because they believe it can be done despite the wall being in ruins for 70 years. I, I wonder sometimes if that's what gets us when we look at the situation around us, when we see how long it's taken, when we see how little changes happen, and we say, will anything ever change? And people in Jerusalem had been living in that situation for 70 years, and there comes a man and he says, it's time to rebuild. And the people say yes. They rebuild despite the amount of limited labor, the huge amount of rubble. And the fact that their enemies were doing everything possible to prevent them going ahead. Isn't that what gets us involved? Willing to get our hands dirty and pull together. When we reach that place where we believe, and I want to put it like this this morning, we need to make a difference as the church. 
Let me put it another way. Where we say to ourselves, it's not just the government's responsibility. It's not just somebody else's responsibility or an NGO or that organization. When we start to say, it's our responsibility. You see, we, you and I, we will, we will stay under the radar until we have that, that conviction in our hearts. We need to be involved. We as God's people have a role to play in this country as well. I'm constantly meeting up with believers who will never get their names onto a TV screen or their faces on a TV screen. They, they will never get their names written down in the history books of our nation, but they're giving themselves to try and make a difference because they believe that what they're doing will make a difference. Isn't that the motivating factor? Isn't that sometimes what we struggle with? Is my little really going to make a difference? Friends, the answer is with God, yes. With God, yes. Now, I know there's always the temptation to overlook all the events that were involved in the rebuilding of the wall. And we're going to just focus on how quickly this wall was built, rebuilt. In 52 days, it was all done. And I, and, 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 and I remember that um, some years back when Terry and I were, were called to uh, East London, we were called to, to a church that had been through um, two splits in five years. I remember when we went to our very first service over there, we were told there were a grand total of 27 members in the church. Not a lot of people to start with. Not even enough money for things to be running over there. And, I, and looking back, I remember for six or seven years, people just put their heads down and worked and prayed and trusted God, and got their hands dirty for six or seven years. There was no glamour, no glory. And then God began to move, and God began to bless the church, and things began to change. And I'll never forget the day, one of the, the ministers down the road, we were, we were at a, a, a conference together or, or some meeting together, and he said, he asked this question, I'll never forget it. John, how did you do it? And you know, the thought that has crossed my mind is we all want to see change. And we all want to sing, see things improving. But what I want to assure you this morning, that when change happens, there have been people who've got their hands dirty. There have been people who've prayed. There have been people who've sacrificed. There have been people who've got together. There have been people who've got alongside of, and they've done the job. And we look back and we say, thank you, God. But there have been people who've got involved. Now, the fact that people went to work on the wall, even though it was one of the worst times in the nation of Israel, did not happen by accident. Did you know that people seldom do things by accident? We like to think that it happens that way, but it actually doesn't. So what I want to do is I want to pick up in chapter 2 and verse 17 and then just read the first uh, into the first five verses of chapter 3 um, and then we will pick it up from there. But now I said to them, this is Nehemiah, he spent the night looking around the city, evaluating all of the challenges and the brokenness of the wall. 
He said to them, you know full well the tragedy of our city. May I say to you, you know full well the tragedy of our nation. It lies in ruins and its gates are burned. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and rid ourselves of this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, good, let's rebuild the wall. And so they began the good work. Verse 19, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing rebelling against the king like this? They asked. But I replied, here's his response, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We are his servants. We will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no stake or claim in Jerusalem. And then it goes on to what can be quite a boring chapter in Nehemiah. Because it tells you about all the people and what they were doing. And let's read some of these verses because I hope it will come to life in a minute. Then Elisha the high priest and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. And they dedicated and they set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred which they dedicated, and the tower of Hananel. People from the city of Jericho worked next to them. And beyond them was Zachar, son of Himri. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hassana. And they did the whole thing. They laid the beams, hung the doors, and put the bolts and bars in place. Merimuth, son of Uriah, and grandson of Hakos, repaired the next section of the wall. Beside him were Meshalem, son of Berechiah, and grandson of Meshezebel, and then Zadok, son of Bana. And next, there were the people from Tekoa, though their leaders refused to help. Now, when we read this account here, we discover that people were willing to do what they were willing to do because of the influence of one person. I wonder if you realize this morning how influential our lives can be when we are passionate for God. Now, I, I said to the 8 o'clock service, I wouldn't tell him because my wife is going to be here. But, but, but I live with somebody who gets like that. And, and she gets passionate about something and I end up doing things I know I shouldn't be doing because her passion gets on top of me. And it's catching. And I want to tell you, you, the stories you hear from her, whether it's about hidden treasure or the nursing campaign she's involved in, you only get it once, I get it 12 times a day. <laughs> Why? Because there's a burning passion and you cannot keep quiet. Friends, people like the Nehemiahs of this world... Their hearts are stirred. Their passion is stirred. They're broken hearted about what's going on around about them. And they say, I will not and cannot keep quiet. I can't do nothing. That's what starts to happen. You know what the sad thing is for me? Is that we've often made heroes of these people. And when we make a hero of somebody, you know what it does to us? We feel unqualified to do the same kind of thing. One of the great dangers 
of the Christian world is we make heroes of ordinary people and then the rest of us say we could never do something like this. You know, when Nehemiah heard about the crisis in Jerusalem and the conditions the people were living in, it broke his heart. It brought him to repentance. It brought him to prayer. It brought him back into God's Word. And you know what happens? He starts to pray back to God what God had said to him in the Word already. And then three months later, something quite unusual happens. The heart of a pagan king is changed and turned and there is favor from God. Friends, I don't know how things like that happen. But may I say to you, when you go to the God of heaven, you are always going to be surprised. Because that's what He does. He does things that surprise us. I'm waiting for a, a person to write a book about how they've been surprised by God like this. Permission is granted for them to go back. Resources are provided. We've heard all of that. When we get to chapter 3, people are willing to work on the wall. and People start to build because of the influence of one man who was passionate about doing something who wouldn't give up. And who is confident that the hand of the Lord is upon him. Look at verse chapter 2 at verse 18. Then I told him how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And their response is... Good, let's rebuild the wall. Nehemiah, you remember, was a slave. He wasn't a free man like us. He was in slavery. He was living far away from Jerusalem. But here's something I want you to notice. Do you know that it was bad news that mobilized him? <laughs> what does bad news do to you? What does bad news do to me? What happens to you when you read the stats, when you read the news, when you, when you go down to News 24 and we read about all the stuff that's going on? It paralyzes us. We get discouraged. We say, oh God, we want to go and live in New Zealand. Friends, may I say something to you about Nehemiah and a man who's got his hand on the heart of God. No New Zealand, he said, your good news will be what fires me up. Your bad news, Ron, is what will be what fires me up. Friends, I want us to be part of a nation when bad news fires us up because we've got our hand on the heart of God. You know, our focus can just be on this man, Nehemiah. But let me say to you this morning, we must not forget it was the efforts of the many who made the rebuilding possible. Isn't there a lesson for us here? One person can't do it on their own. Nehemiah points out one important lesson for all of us, that the rebuilding of the wall will happen in record time when everybody begins to participate. They replied, Good, let's, let us rebuild the wall. And so they began to work. Then Nehemiah gives us a detailed description in chapter 3, which most of you won't read because the names are terrible and it's way too long and it's going to sound very boring. But I want to pull out, pull out a few points that stood out to me when I was reading through this. Number one, 
people get involved when they recognize the importance of the task at hand. There's something that fires us up. It's when the task at hand is more important and supersedes our important issues in life. You see, whatever is most important to you and whatever is most important to me is what's going to mobilize us. And over here, Nehemiah's heart is broken. He said, I can't sit around. I need to do something. I've got to make a difference. Friends, we need people who say the task needs our attention. And I pulled out some verses because I thought it was so funny. Look at verse chapter 3 and verse 1. I don't know if, you, if this crossed your mind. Elisha, the high priest and his fellow priest. Do you know what the high priest was used to? He's used to being dressed in his beautiful, fine, white robes. They would put perfume over him and would run down his beard. It was a sign of the Holy Spirit. And he would go into the temple and he would bring the sacrifices. And once a year, he could go into the Holy of Holies. Now, I want you to change your picture. Here's the guy. And they say, won't you bring us that stone? Won't you carry that one? Won't you help this hold this one in place? Here's the high priest. No more robes. <laughs> you know why? Because that high priest and the other priest who worked with him, they said the task at hand demands that we devote our attention to this. The task became more important even, if I may say to you, than bringing offerings at that time in the temple. second thing you'll notice over here is that everybody worked together. And if you've noticed that the business people worked together, there were goldsmiths, there were even perfume makers. Anybody a perfume maker here? None. Okay, I was hoping. But perfume makers, priests, people from Jericho, people from the surrounding area, they all combined and they said, we are going to work together. I think there's a danger we face in our culture. It's called we want to do it on our own. There is nothing like coming together and joining our efforts and pooling our resources and saying together we can make a difference. Now, I don't think that just means within the church. I think that means across the wider church. There needs to be that joining together. But then, here's an interesting one. There's no mention of spectators. Did you notice chapter three? You probably haven't read chapter three. Probably most of you won't read chapter three. But there's one thing I want to assure you that's not in there. There's no mention of any spectators. You see, when you come to chapter three, you'll notice there's a record being made of the names of people, the positions of people, what they did, but there's absolutely no record of people who didn't get involved. You know what made me realize? That God is keeping a record of all of those things every person has done, whether they are seen or unseen. God has a record. You see, this Bible has a record because it was inspired by the Spirit. And one day, I remember it says, and the books will be opened. There is going to be a day when the books are going to be opened and things you never knew about people. Things that you've done by yourself. Things that you've done behind the scenes. Things that you've never ever spoken about. God's going to call out your name and He's going to say, well done. Because you see, God doesn't forget what His people are doing. 
And then lastly, and this is about the best way that I could put it, the people who worked together had to overcome their own inhibitions. You see, imagine what it's been like to be the high priest all your life. These are not kind of the things that you used to do. Well, I'm the high priest. Well, I own my own business. Well, I'm a perfume maker. I don't build walls. I'm a goldsmith. I work on finely crafted jewelry. I don't get my hands on that kind of stuff. It might mess up my ability. Friends, we need to get over that. Because the wall isn't going to be built. The life is not going to change until people say, I need to get over that stuff. Because there's no place for that in the kingdom. We're here to do the work of God. Nehemiah chapter 3 is one of those passages that is in the Bible to encourage all of us to get together and to work together and to make a difference. We are called to be salt and light in our nation. It addresses our excuses. It refocuses our perspective. And it shows us what can be done. When we work together, I wonder if the prayer that Jesus prayed for his followers in John chapter 7 has any bearing this morning. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Later on, verse 22, he said, I've given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to Complete unity. You see, the role of the church, and I wish I had time to really develop it, but I don't this morning. The role of the church in the nation is quite unique. Because you may be asking the question, if we're going to be agents of change, what in the world does that mean? And I want to say to you this morning, the role of the church is quite unique. We are certainly here to help. We are to help where there's crime. We are to help where there's unemployment. We are to help the poor. There are lots of areas in which we are meant to help. But if it stops there, then we've missed the uniqueness of what God has called us to do. Let me put it to you like this. I don't know how many of you remember in the book of Genesis, there is a verse about the life of Joseph. Remember Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery? Do you remember he ended up in part of his home? And there's the verse that says this, And God blessed Potiphar's household because of Joseph. Now let me say this to you. Potiphar was no saint of God. And yet, something about Joseph that's special about his life overflows into Potiphar's home and household. And there is blessing because the man of God was amongst the people. And if I can put it to you like this, when you and I go, and wherever we go, and whatever we do, do you know we go with Him? Do you know that you never go alone? Do you know that you, you never empty? Do you know the Spirit of God goes with you? And wherever we go and whatever we are doing, He is with us, and people are blessed because He is the blesser, and He is with us. It's just what happens. I love that. 
that wherever Christians go and whatever we're involved in, whatever we put our hands to, you know what happens? People strangely seem to be blessed. Now, that shouldn't surprise us, but it does. Because the one who's seated in heaven has said, I'm with you. And whatever you do and wherever you go, I am is with you. Friends, do you know why our role is unique? Because we understand where the real battle's taking place. Do you know why Sharon came up to pray here this morning? Because she knew where the real battle's taking place. There's a person in prison, one of God's people in prison, and they may be in prison because uh, of certain decisions that were taken by a certain country, but I want to say to you this morning, the real reason he's in prison is because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And you see, when the church looks at the nation and we look at what's going on, we know where the real battle needs to be fought. Now, I'm not saying people are not involved. You know that. But you see, when we are the one group of people who understands we wrestle not against flesh and blood, and we get down in there, and we go before our Father in heaven, and we know that God hears the cries of His people. You know what strangely starts to happen? His change starts to take place. Because that's what the church brings. I want to stress that if I may this morning, because I sometimes think we have got distracted into just helping. And please, I'm not saying it's not important. But we are to do way more than help. We come to bring another kingdom. That's our role. Secondly, for the church to impact the city and the nation, we need everybody to be on board. I've personally discovered what that means for me, is unless that is a priority, it will never get my attention. What breaks your heart? Is it moving you and mobilizing you? Maybe when you read about crime or you, you read about uh, what's happening in wage negotiation, whatever it is, what's breaking your heart this morning? And I want to ask you, is that mobilizing you? Can I, can I read to you the words of Haggai the prophet? Some of you heard of Haggai? I know it's a bit of a weird name, but he is a prophet in the Old Testament. And Haggai prophesied at exactly the same time Ezra was back in Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. Listen to the penetrating observations he makes. I'm going to read it to you. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but you have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your full. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages. I need to put them with purses with holes in them. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Second time. Give careful thought to your ways. Go into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much but see, it turned out to be little. You brought home, I blew away. Why 
declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains a ruin. And here's, I think, the penetrating observation. While each of you is busy with his own house. Very deep question. Let me finish by saying this this morning. It's a belief in the fact and a commitment to the fact that with God, with God it can be done that leaves us with those amazing stories of what is being done. In Nehemiah 6, we have one of those stories. So the war was completed on the 25th of Elal in 52 days. That was their story. Every Wednesday night, Terry's sister, who is part of a small team, six or seven people, every Wednesday night, they go into the hospitals, I think it's mainly in Krutskia, and they go and pray for people in the wards. They go and pray for people who've been stabbed. They've been pray, they pray for people who come in to the emergency. It's a mess there. But every Wednesday they go in there. This past Wednesday when she came home, she was really troubled and began to share with us that they'd gone to minister to a young teenager, I think 16 years old. Was that right? 18, okay. 18 years old. He'd been part of a gang. They shot him five times and he was paralyzed. And as they went into that ward, they prayed with him, they counseled with him, and they led that young man to Christ. So that even although there'd been a tragedy, there was a new beginning in his life. And you see, that's what happens when God's people go in his spirit, with his message, with that boldness, that suddenly the tragic lives of people start to go in a new direction. Because they discover this, that the hand of the Lord was upon me, and I had favor with God.